A garrison is a safe place where an army gathers. In the same way, the Disability Garrison podcast is a place for the army of disability rights advocates to gather and discuss complex issues. We are unafraid to identify problems in our world and have difficult conversations about them. But we are not just here to complain. We spend our time brainstorming solutions with generals in the disability rights movement. Together, we take action to make positive change and lead the fight for justice and equality. My name is Hallie Carmichael. My name is Michael Murray. This is the Disability Garrison. I'd like to start the podcast by asking you to use your imagination for a moment. Imagine that you have a beautiful child, sweet, someone that you've either adopted or given birth to that you love dearly. And imagine for a second that your child needs an organ transplant. You go to the doctor, you go through all the process, you are hopeful that this organ transplant that could save their lives is going to happen, and then you're told that you don't qualify, and you're sent home to watch that beautiful person that you love die. Now, envision for a moment that you didn't know why they didn't qualify for that life-saving treatment, and imagine for a moment that the reason that they didn't qualify is for something that had absolutely nothing to do with the success of the transplant. It could be their eye color or their hair color, or in the cases that we're going to talk about today, discriminated against purely based on their IQ. This is happening all across the country. In fact, 85% of pediatric transplant centers consider a child's intellectual or developmental disability when factoring whether or not they qualify. They're, They're making this judgment based on this child's perceived quality of life, what their contribution to society might be, and it's downright wrong. It's disgusting. The American Academy of Pediatrics came out with a policy statement, a paper, clarifying heavily that this does not impact the success of the transplant, the health of the participant in any way. So why is this happening? It's plain and simple discrimination. And many people who we talk about don't even realize that it's happening, but it's real stories. It's a little seven-year-old boy named Griffin in Missouri, a little girl named Bethany from North Carolina, Cole in Mississippi, Ivy in West Michigan, right where we're headquartered, and Lucy in Minnesota. Today, we'll get to dive in and hear firsthand Lucy's story and account and how she was able to finally get to the bottom and discover that this discrimination was happening and find a transplant center that would not discriminate against her. And spoiler alert, Lucy is doing amazingly well. So today, this is the problem that we want to look straight in the eyes. People with disabilities are being discriminated against when it comes to organ transplants. What can you do about it? I am so excited. I'm always excited, but I'm so excited about our guest today. Can you tell us about our guest? Yes, Crystal Gallagher. She's a dear friend of mine, and I'm thrilled to have her as a guest. She has a background graduating from the University of Minnesota, 
with a bachelor's in sociology and, and actually worked in the healthcare industry as an ECG technician and a phlebotomist. She's currently a full-time caregiver to her beautiful daughter, Lucy. Lucy was born with a rare disease called PMM2-CDG, and as a result of that, ended up needing a liver transplant. And Crystal's going to share with us her story. Such a powerful story. Yes. Let's dive in. Hi, guys. We're really excited that you're here. What do you love about Lucy? What is there not to love about Lucy? Um, (laughs) She is just pure joy. I mean, her face radiates joy. She is the happiest kid. I mean, she has had so many struggles, but through it all, she just is happy. I mean, she has the best giggle and she is just such a fighter. And not only is she so joyful, she just brings joy to everyone that she meets and just really enriches other people's lives. She does. Oh my gosh, she does. I saw some pictures. I was just like, (laughs) this is such a cute kid. Even through images, that that joy comes through. Absolutely. So, you know, we're going to get into Lucy's story a little bit and and how that went, but let's lay some groundwork. Holly, what is an organ transplant? Let's assume that people don't know what an organ transplant (laughs) is. Why is it important and who needs it? Yeah. So there are an organ transplant is essentially if you have an organ that is impacting your, your life in some way, there's an option to get a transplant and there are any organ in your body pretty much can receive a transplant today with Lucy's story. We're going to be talking about uh, the liver in particular, but there are this discrimination issue impacts any type of organ, uh, not just liver transplants uh, for people with intellectual developmental disabilities. And uh, essentially the, the process of when you need an organ, you're, you're obviously receiving care through your doctor and you're at some type of hospital or transplant center and they're making a determination on your case. And, you know, some of this is based on you know, you can get on the transplant list. That's, that's essentially what we'll be talking about today. Who gets to get on the list? So, Crystal, let's talk about Lucy. Um, sure. Why did Lucy need an organ transplant? Let's start there. Sure. Um, in August of 2017, Lucy was diagnosed with cirrhosis. Just to lay a little groundwork for that, children with her specific disease, she also has PMM2 they often have organ issues or they'll have elevated liver enzymes, but it's very rare that it develops to cirrhosis. Um, And when she was a year and a half old, they had done an ultrasound of her liver. It's a pretty routine thing for kids with CDG to have ultrasounds and, you know, scans of their organs to see what they look like and kind of track them as they grow. At that point, her liver looked 98% normal. There was a couple of fatty spots on it. So there wasn't anything that was indicating this is going to develop into full-blown cirrhosis very rapidly. Her pediatrician uh, had kind of deterred me from getting involved with GI. I had asked several times I'd like to see a GI specialist. Can I have a referral? She gave me a lot of resistance on it until, and the reason being that I kept asking was she was having all these digestive issues. Mm. 
And the explanation I kept getting was, well, that's just what happens when a child has a metabolic disease. They really struggle with GI issues. It's normal. You just have to deal with it. Can I just say how often I, I delivered both of my kids and both times, and I, I mean not intentionally, it was in the backseat <laughs> of a car, and both times had medical professionals look at us and say, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And you know so much as a parent, <laughs> right? you know. You I'm just, just like, have... I'm looking at my wife. She, yeah. she is about to deliver a baby. Yeah. You have intuition. Your yes. feelings are usually spot on. That is, on. That's what I have learned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we ended up in the emergency room, of course. They did an ultrasound and her stomach was, her abdomen was full of fluid. It's called ascites. It's a symptom that happens when you have cirrhosis. And that was really our first indication that she had cirrhosis. So we, it developed so rapidly. Um, that was really the start of the journey. That's how I found out it wasn't fun. It was a total shock. At that point, um, Lucy had her first paracentesis, which is a procedure that removes the fluid from the abdomen. And she's had, I think, over 20 of them. Wow. Um, it's That was kind of one of her bigger symptoms of cirrhosis. So she had up to two liters of fluid removed from her abdomen. So it would go away and then it would come back. Sometimes we'd be in the hospital twice a week to do that. Yeah. So yeah. you get to this place in this process where there's a realization, my daughter needs a liver transplant. And I want everyone who's listening to this to, for a moment, whether you've got kids or you've got a family member, to put yourself in the shoes and say, oh, I have a family member in order to live needs a transplant. And mm -hmm. so you go to the doctor, you're looking into this, and your first thought is, you know, I would give any part of my organ to see my kid be healthy. Talk to us about what that was like for you. It was devastating. It, it was so much to process. And honestly, they didn't ever bring up transplant. It was something that I came up with from reading. Wow. Um, it was more like your child has cirrhosis and now we're going to treat the symptoms. And finally, I just flat out asked, does my child need a transplant? And they just said, well, yes, but no one's going to consider her for transplant. And I'm like, wait, what do you mean? Hold on. No one's going to consider her. Why not? And the answer was, well, because of her underlying condition, that was them being polite. Right. Because of her underlying condition, no one will consider it. But just to be clear, underlying condition that we're talking about here has zero effect on the uh, viability of having a good transplant, right? As evidenced by, As by evidenced Lucy's case, so for yes. sure. But yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so that was, I was very angry. I was yeah. angry. Um, that, that came from her primary GI doctor that they had just assigned to us. And I felt really hopeless. Um, if you go on Google and you type in this facility, they get great reviews for pediatric GI. And I'm thinking to myself, how can this be possible? How can they be one of the best and not want to help or try? But that was the reality. And by the time end of September had come around and Lucy had been 
in and out of the hospital, they said, we really think at this point, your best option is going to be to consider hospice. And that was a whole nother shock. Wait, what? First, my daughter has cirrhosis. And now you're telling me I need to put her on hospice. My only personal experience with hospice is with adults, you know, grandparents, things like that. And I said, what, what do you, how long do you think she's got to live? You know, that was like a big question I had. And they just said, you know, at this rate, maybe six months to a year and just kind of left me at that. And it was hard. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the things when I first heard your story and Holly was telling it to me that just blew my mind is, you know, you say underlining condition, but really what they did is they said, uh, Lucy's going home. She's not going to live. And the concept that I made this decision just based off of her intellectual and developmental disability was not right. part of the conversation. It's not like they looked at you and said, hey, your daughter has blonde hair, so we're not going to uh, give her a life-saving treatment. We're just going to send her home. Like it was, you know, and it was mind-blowing. You would have never known otherwise. And so you get connected with this beautiful community of incredible parents like, like Holly and Dan. And what happens? Uh, it took a little bit of time. So I joined the group. I didn't make a post saying my daughter has cirrhosis. Um, I actually was searching for other families in Minnesota and found another mom that has a son with Lucy's exact same subtype of CDG. And we connected and we became friends. And I didn't even tell her right away because mm-hmm. it was just such an awful, shocking thing. My fear was like, I don't want somebody else to take this on. Like, what if this happens to their child and I don't have any hope to offer them? Um, But as she became sicker, you know, I started talking about it and sharing a little bit. And um, we were out walking. It was May. And in May, we have CDG Awareness Day. So we had gotten together for that. And she just encouraged me. She's like, you need to fight. You need to email Dr. Marava. And I was like, I don't know. She doesn't live in Minnesota. I am just going to randomly email her. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it took me a couple weeks to get the courage to email her, which is now just silly thinking about it. She is like one of the most incredible human beings I have ever met. <laughs> agreed. agreed. And, um. I actually didn't even really start out asking about transplant. She was moving to Minnesota to start this natural history study. And I emailed her and I said, my daughter's really sick, but I'd still like to see you. I really want to get her in this study. Maybe her experience can help another child. Maybe we can prevent this from happening. And her response was, hold on a second we're not talking about the natural history study. Let's try to save your child's life. She had never met me. Um, She wasn't living in the same state as us at that time. She just got right to work. And it was the best feeling I have ever had in my life. Just knowing another human being who has power to do something was willing to do it, to take it on, to be there for me, to be supportive, to help Lucy even just feel better. 
So that's really how it started. And I believe in God. And I really just, I believe everything happened the way it did for a reason, as hard as that is to accept. So we just had the dream team from the start. Yeah. Um, she knew somebody right when I had already emailed her. It just was incredible. Yeah. So, I, Dr. Faria, if you're listening to this, we love you. And Dr. Moza, Dr. Dr. Marava. Yeah, we love you too. Just, you know, in the we, sa- yes. they shouldn't be the exception, Come you know, on. to value a human's life and to, to say this child is worth saving. Every child is worth saving. It should not matter. If you are a doctor out there who is taking this into consideration, taking intellectual developmental disability into consideration, shame on you. This should not be a, a case to, to Lucy, who brings so much joy to the world and contributes so much value. You have no idea the quality of life that, that she has and, and what she adds to this world. It's shame on you. Absolutely. So we get people fighting. We get people alongside you who are saying, yes, let's try to figure this out. When they actually said, we're going to consider Lucy, you know, what, what went through your head? How did you feel? I felt scared. Um, I was scared that we were going to do all of this. It was going to be awful. And then the answer was going to be no. I'm going to put my child through more. She's already having so many problems, so many struggles. She's not feeling good. And then the answer is going to be no. I was so scared the answer was going to be no. But you actually had a chance to be evaluated. You're describing this evaluation process and and before they they didn't even let you get through that door. Right. Right. They wouldn't actually even let me talk to anyone in the transplant center. Wow. So I said, you know, I don't understand this. Can I talk to somebody in transplants? Can I have their information? The answer was no. They're not going to consider it. We're not wasting their time. Wow. Wow. Um I just wanted at that point, some sort of closure for myself or peace. Yeah. Um, and they would not offer that. And looking back now, I wish I would have gone to another hospital, gotten another opinion. Yeah. However, not every hospital is a transplant hospital and or they only transplant right. certain how organs. You know? There's no way you... you should know that like you checked their reviews you yeah, did everything yeah. right mm-hmm. yeah yeah the, it yeah. it shouldn't you shouldn't be allowed to take it into consideration no you no. shouldn't have to wonder is my doctor taking my IQ into consideration when deciding whether or not I should have a life saving yeah, right. procedure yeah. so i'm going to fast forward you just a little bit to that point where you actually hear yes she qualifies and this could actually save her life. What's going through mm-hmm. your head? That was like Christmas on steroids. <laughs> um, I remember Dr. Faria calling me and telling me that she was going to be listed. At that point, her and I were talking all the time. She was calling me. Yeah. Um, she immediately quit what she was doing to go start the process of actually getting her on the list. She's like, I'm leaving my office. Like, it just was incredible. I felt my faith in humanity had been restored at that point. So tell us, how's Lucy doing right now? She she has had the transplant. How long ago now? 
She was transplanted in 2019, so January 22nd. How's she doing? The exact date. She is doing amazing. Very shortly after her transplant, she started drinking water orally out of a sippy cup. Now she'll drink out of a cup. Her physical strength has grown immensely. That's so great. Uh, She learned how to give a high five. Uh, (laughs) You know, significantly more interactive than she was before. Very visible physical differences. She can stand with assistance now before she couldn't even put her legs down. This is such a powerful story to hear the incredible investment that that you've made into fighting for Lucy, those who have been against you, and then ultimately those who came alongside you, and the victory that we have seen here demonstrates that all life is worth living, that it is worth saving, and that getting behind ensuring that everyone has the right to access these kinds of life-saving opportunities is it shouldn't even be something that we're having a conversation about but we are in 2021 2020, but no, we're gonna no fight doubt. for this yeah yeah it's got it i want to give you a chance crystal if there's anything you can say to those physicians or around the world because i i believe this is a worldwide issue we're, we're talking in the u.s specifically right. but but to those physicians, especially Lucy's, who said her life wasn't worth it, what do you want to say to them now, knowing you've you've gone to the other side? Lucy is high fiving, bike riding, adding <laughs> oh, yeah. adding joy. Yes. What do you say to them now? I would, I want to say you were wrong. That's yes. the first thing you I want to say. Wrong. You were so wrong. <laughs> but also, have a heart. Where is your heart? Why did you become a doctor? Isn't it to help people to better their lives? All people. (laughs) Not not just those that have struggles. And really the range of disability is so vast. And to me, it doesn't matter which end of the spectrum you're on. I think all people with disabilities add value to the world. Yeah. Yeah. Crystal, thank you. Thank you for being an awesome mom. Thank you for being uh, an incredible advocate. And thank you for bringing Lucy into the world and fighting for her so that she could continue to be a gift to all of us. Lucy's worth it. I can't thank you enough for sharing your story, walking us through it, walking our listeners through it. Because I, I really think people don't realize this is actually happening today. You could, it could be you. Your kid could acquire a disability. That's right. And it could be you going to that hospital center trying to get your kid life-saving treatment like we all would and just be sending, sent home. Without even mm-hmm. knowing why you're being sent home. Without yeah. even, yeah, behind yeah. the scenes. Thank you, Crystal and Lucy, for, for helping us see that today. Yeah. You're welcome. Wow, Crystal and Lucy's story. It is pretty powerful. I mean, especially for me, knowing Maggie has the same condition and and could be in that same point, that same place at some point in her life. She could need a a liver transplant because of her CDG. And 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 just as a parent myself, I see in Lucy, my son Isaac, my little girl Ellie, And watching the roller coaster that they went through. And, and I'll tell you, 
we always close this out with actions that our listeners can take. You can't listen to a story like we just heard and put yourself in the shoes of Lucy and not want to do something. And that's what we're all about. We're about taking action and what can we do as the disability rights movement in order to make a difference. And there's something really simple that you can do. Become an organ donor. We're going to put on our website how you can easily make that happen and how you can become an organ donor and make sure that you're able to give a life-giving organ when you die. But you can also just be sure to tell your loved ones that, hey, this is what I want. I want to ensure that after I leave this planet that my organs go and are donated to help others. And this can avoid confusion, but it also can just give you an opportunity to talk with your loved ones about why you're making this decision and why it's powerful to do it. It's really easy, and you get this really cute heart on your license plate, so I or on your it. driver's license, I mean. <laughs> Not your license plate. That we should cool put too. it on the license plate. You That's should. a great idea. I'm an idea. organ donor. That's yeah. right. I'm an organ donor. Yes. I am proud to be an organ donor. Yes, me as well. And if you become an organ donor, share it with us. I'd love to see posts of people becoming organ donors from listening to this podcast because Lucy's life has value. She yeah. adds value to this world. She's so important and critical, and there is no way... And heck, she should be denied having a transplant simply because of developmental disability. There's some other really uh, important things you can do. Many people I talk to about are like, how is this legal? How is this allowed? And it still is. We need legislation passed that makes sure that this discrimination doesn't happen. And luckily, there is some great work done by organizations who have really pushed forward and uh, done a lot. We have a little over half of the states in in the U.S. that have legislation passed, many of them, over half of those uh, passed in just the last couple of years. But there's some national legislation that you can support directly by calling your representatives in Congress to support H.R. 1235, the Charlotte Woodward Organ Transplant Discrimination Prevention Act. This does some simple things like prohibits disability-based discrimination to get an organ transplant. It shouldn't be there. Uh, it shouldn't exist already, but it does. I'd also ask, because I'm a Michigander myself, my fellow Michiganders, I need your support. We've got a bill passed in the House, but not the Senate. I need you to call your state senators and get Bill 4762. It's really short. It's 13 lines. Because this is a simple topic. You shouldn't discriminate based yes. on based on uh, intellectual this disability. Easy. This is a simple thing. So, so we ask you to go online on our website. We make it really easy for you to find out who you should call, who you should write to. Please, please, we're asking you to do that. Tell us about doing that and, and take this action today to help kids just like Lucy. Absolutely. And we want to make sure that all across the U.S., there is clear legislation that discriminating against people with disabilities as it relates to transplants is illegal. You can't do it. Yeah, it's it's not allowed. It has no effect, zero effect on the success. This is simply discrimination based on a person's disability, on their perceived value, and that's not okay. And last, we always like to end out by supporting an awesome organization. And in this particular area, the National Down Syndrome Society is doing a lot of work to pass this national bill. And so we'd like to encourage you to go onto their website and offer them financial support. So they support and advocate for 
uh, Down syndrome throughout communities by focusing on areas of resource and support, policy and advocacy, community and engagement. So we will have some links on our website that will support everyone and help everyone be able to find this organization and financially donate to them. Absolutely. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this movement and a part of the Disability Garrison. Let's go out and make a difference. Thank you for listening to the Disability Garrison podcast. My name is Scott LeBerry, and I direct my daughter's services in Michigan through GT Independence. What I like most about directing her services is the freedom that it allows me to align the resources to my daughter's needs. For the links and resources mentioned in this podcast, go to www.gtindependence.com backslash podcast. Thank you.